Draw a quick regional map on hexed paper. Grab the rules from an old role-playing game. Sit down with some friends and begin play. Is it really that simple to start a fantasy role-playing campaign? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello Rescuers, welcome to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying games hobby. In episode one, I said that during this season I'm going to work on presenting the experiments I'm testing in my own actually played RPG sessions. The goal is to track a route back to the table and if all goes to plan, which of course is a big if, see about rediscovering the joy and confidence of being a GM. In episode 2, I tracked the first week in my efforts in creating a new fantasy campaign for the students at the school D&D club. As it turned out, the creation of Felmir using 1983's basic Dungeons & Dragons, along with the expert rulebook for the creation of the starting village, led to the involvement of my Saturday night gaming group too. Having had a cracking conversation with Yum DM about D&D and how to set up a campaign world in episode 3, I found myself doubling down on this effort to bring Felmir to life. Today, I want to share some of the things I've experienced and what these moments have taught me about being a fantasy RPG GM. This is season 13, episode 4, An Open World Campaign. Firstly, Let's be clear about the kind of fantasy role-playing campaign that I am designing. It's an open world, what some might call a sandbox, and the goal is to provide a game that is easy for me to prep and run on a weekly basis. A game that can accommodate short session times at the school club, just one and a half hours and two hours or so for the Saturday night sessions. That provides maximum player agency for the players. In other words, the players can choose their own goals, choose which situations they get themselves into, and, of course, choose how to resolve those situations with the tools that they have. A game that's enjoyable for everyone at the table, including me as the GM. And a game that allows for the enjoyment of the emergence of story, not the delivery of a plotline. Yep, this is a traditional, old-school-style open-world campaign. We began with basic Dungeons & Dragons because it's quick and easy to run, simple for newer players to pick up, and a recognisable product brand for the uninitiated. At the time of recording, we are six weeks into the life of the campaign world. There have been five sessions of the School D&D Club and three sessions of the bi-weekly Saturday night group. For me, that feels pretty significant. The sense of significance arises from the fact that this has been the first time a D&D campaign has stuck with me as a GM since sometime around the end of 3rd edition, perhaps in 2008. Although we played 4th and 5th editions at the Friday Night Roleplay group back before the pandemic, neither of those games stuck. In all that time, only one other campaign, the Mistamir game, played using the Mithras classic fantasy rules, has lasted any length of time, and in that case, it was about a year, about 
24 sessions at the last time I played. I am enjoying this game. What's strange to me is I've rediscovered the great sense of agency, freedom and joy that comes from running an open world fantasy campaign. Although I'm chafing at the simplicity of basic and expert Dungeons and Dragons from 1983, it has helped me to create a game I believe in and am enjoying playing. What's happened is that Felmir, as a world, has begun to grow. The contributions of the players, both through their actions in sessions and outside, have helped me to shape that world. Tiny Prep has assisted me in adding small details, NPCs, places and situations to the pattern, and I've even had one longer session of writing that added quite a bit of history. The experiment is working, despite some significant moments of challenge. The first turnabout happened at the last session of the Saturday Night Group when we suffered a total party kill. The second turnabout happened when the five-person group at school suffered a half-the-party kill as well. But we haven't stopped. We've pivoted in two distinctly different ways within the same campaign world. This is the next phase of the campaign's development, but before we go there, it's worth exploring how the first phase panned out for me as a GM. I found that beginning with a simple imagined location, in this case St Gregory's Church, which was pulled out of thin air on the first Saturday night session with just evil Jeff as the player, and then improvising that first session, that took all of the pressure off me as a GM. Why? I think the biggest lie I've been telling myself over the past 15 years or so is a pretty simple one. You need to prep a big, exciting campaign so that your friends will have a good time. The truth is that you're not responsible for making sure those friends have fun. In fact, to draw on the wisdom of the Stoics, you can't guarantee or do much at all about the experience of other people. What you can do is work towards providing the possibility of a good time at your gaming table. Picking some tried and true rules, sketching out a quick regional map, improvising a starting dungeon and letting yourself play is a better proposition. What I discovered is that my creativity flows in response to the player's choices and actions. From there, the act of photocopying a dungeon map from an old D&D book, quickly keying some, but not all, of the rooms in that dungeon, and then running the school group down those ancient halls made it more fun than I expected. All of this improvisation was and is liberating. As the games have progressed, I've found myself increasingly excited to find out what happens next. Given that there are two groups, it's also interesting to consider how one party's actions might impact the experience of the other adventuring group. New characters have been created and entered the tale, some local folk being of particular interest to me as GM. Their motives and goals spur new lore and ideas for adventuring opportunities. While I have in the past tended to enjoy the short-lived but long sequence of one-off scenarios, one-shot games mixed in with my halting attempts to get a campaign out of this or that rule system underway, I've been surprised at the joy Felmir has unlocked. The focus on creating the world and the characters within it has been engaging. And because I used old D&D and deliberately accepted the limitations of the lighter and simpler rules, I was able to focus on 
well, other things. Perhaps if you have, like me, felt the anxiety and pressure of campaigning, doubting your ability to sustain an entertaining game, then the biggest insight I can offer is to recognise that this anxiety is deeply rooted in some pretty unhelpful thinking. The judgement we meet on our own efforts can be brutal. We tend to think in black and white, all or nothing terms instead of recognising that play emerges in shades of grey. We place the responsibility for enjoyment on our own shoulders and we can't see that this stifles our creativity. Not to mention also being completely false because the players are just as responsible for their own enjoyment as anybody else. Instead, playfulness arises from the absence of a plan. What those old games have helped me to realise or remember even from my childhood is that more than a plan, tools like random tables and procedures for play are more reliable sources of surprisingly joyful experience. I've had to learn to let go of my preconceptions. Basic Dungeons & Dragons provided me with an entry point. The simple act of setting up a situation, such as imagining a place under the ground that the players were sent to explore, and then following the game's procedures proved key to unlocking a whole new world. A better experience, at least for me. Now as the game is beginning to gain some momentum, there is a desire to deepen the lore of the world and explore it further. This has driven creative writing of short pieces from the history of Felmir. There have been new NPCs who needed placing, for example, who sells the weapons and armour in Stoneharrow. And can the players buy potions of healing? And if so, well, who would be making them? These questions and the emergent answers make the process of GMing enjoyable in the moment. Sometimes these questions emerge between sessions as natural points of development as you think about the next session, but other times the questions pop out of the players' mouths at the table, and I found that I'm enjoying the improvisation of the answers. But the secret is to recognise that creative pleasure arises in the act of play. We had a TPK in the last Saturday night session. That is, a total party kill. It was one of those seemingly meaningless events, arising as it did from a wandering monster role in the exploration procedure, but it became deeply meaningful to the campaign. To be honest, I don't think there are any meaningless deaths in fantasy role-playing games played in this style. While I've heard the criticism in the past, you know, how if my hero dies in some meaningless random encounter with some goblins, then it ruins the payoff of the story we are telling... I've come to see how this is an inversion of what I'm doing here. In the open world of Felmir, there is no story that I am telling. There is no uber plot, no big bad per se either. There's the world, and there are characters within that world. Characters, whether played by the players or run by me as the GM, characters are assumed to have goals. Certainly, dying in the pursuit of your goals is tragic, but it's not meaningless. 
How could it be meaningless? You failed to achieve your goal with that character. That is inherently meaningful. And that failure has consequences, just as the potential success would have had different consequences. In the actual combat, the fact that the characters could die established the meaning of that combat. If they were always going to win, why fight out the combat? It's just wasted time when we could be pushing towards their goal. But in this case, their goal lay beyond that encounter. They came up with a good strategy too. It was not so much poor play from the players. What deserted them was fate, the roll of the dice, and the particular interactions between their choices in combat and my own choices on behalf of the monsters. But all of it was meaningful. And that's why it became so much fun. We were laughing all the way to the grave. But I kind of digress. We had a TPK last session on Saturday. After a short deliberation, we also decided to move the mechanisms of play up a step and choose a slightly more detailed set of rules, specifically Adventure of Conqueror King. A little more detail, a lot more for me to draw upon, and an experiment to see how that would impact the play. On Tuesday, in the game that's still running with basic Dungeons & Dragons, we also lost three player characters. One player asked to retire their magic user because they didn't like playing the wizard. They wanted to play a thief, so we had them roll up a thief. No problem. But two other player characters died in combat. Again, it was a randomly determined encounter, but it arose from the decision of the player group to go hunting in the wilderness and they met a group of humanoids and they went in all guns blazing and two characters got surrounded by the enemy and cut down. Both groups learned something about Felmir. I learned something about what's enjoyable in these games too. The players, I think, discovered that I meant it when I said that we would play by the rules of the game. Brutal though death at zero hit points is, we did not fudge away the consequences of their actions. This was most clearly demonstrated by the student players who began to talk about how to make the party stronger and how to play more cleverly and discussing the moment when they stopped fighting and began negotiating. To be specific, the monstrous shaman and then the party's cleric had agreed to a duel to resolve the conflict that the party had begun to lose and they picked their respective champions and then the PC champion won the fight and they realised that you don't have to have fight all the monsters. And that was a pretty big moment. For me, I learned that when the players fail at their stated goal, that's not necessarily the end of the game. Because there actually isn't a story that we're trying to tell here. Maybe the goal dies with the character. That's a choice for the player to make. But the game lives. The consequences of that defeat resonate throughout Felmir. How do the NPCs react when their adventurers don't return? And how do the monsters react after their victory? What changes in the world? All of that stuff is interesting. The world got richer and the players are all coming back to find out what happens next. In fact, across both groups, we've added a player in the aftermath of these events. That's one to each group. Is it a pure coincidence? Or is there something attractive about a game where what I choose has meaning? At the school club, we drew a crowd in the aftermath of those deaths. 
Wow, I heard the student saying. It's like you have to stand by the choices you make. Yes. Yes, you do. And I enjoy that truth deeply. All of this, of course, is not to say that how I'm running Felmir is the one true way. But it's becoming my way to run a fantasy campaign. Not only are the players interested, but I am becoming more invested in the game as we play. I don't have to decide the story because the story is emerging. It goes where the players take it and it responds to the roll of the dice, to fate, if you will. Choice and fate feels heroic and exciting. It feels visceral and believable and it's grabbed my attention. I'm genuinely playing to find out what happens next. Which brings me to phase two, the further development of the world. You see, Felmir started out at two small dungeon locations near a village, Stone Harrow. There was a quickly sketched area map for sure, and some other named locations, but that was it. Now, I'm filling in the gaps. Firstly, I've been working on briefly describing those other places, and secondly, I've been adding some new places to the map. And thirdly, I started to think bigger picture. I mean, what is the history of this place? It's all lightly sketched because I want to leave significant spaces for ideas to be developed through play. But there is a growing skeleton of a world within which the actions of the players gain a context. Things have happened to bring us to this moment in the history of the world. What happens next is partly in the hands of the players. It's also partly in the hands of the powers who rule or want to rule Felmir. And I've begun to work on the expert part of D&D, the exploration of the wider world. But it's much more than just adding to the map. The player characters are leaving a trail of consequences that their new characters will have to live with. Working out the links of short-term cause and effect has been enlightening. I mean, for example, and I must say, if you're playing on Saturday night, on the day this is released to patrons, well... This is a minor spoiler. But the failure of the school group to save the lives of two dwarven merchants is directly going to affect the first events in the story of the new Saturday Night characters. Why? Because as the Saturday Nighters each started rolling up their five characters, as per the optional rule to create five, and pick a primary and then two backup characters, and then give two as NPCs to the GM... As they rolled those up and made choices, we discovered that we had a Dwarven Vault Guard, an Elven Nightblade, and a Human Explorer, who's been hired by the Dwarves to find something. And it just seemed rude not to have them find the wrecked and stripped Dwarven Wagon those merchants were delivering to Stone Harrow. What will the players choose? That's what I can't wait to find out. Game on. I love hearing from listeners, especially people like you who have positive things to say. So, you know, some people do drop me an email or tag me on social media, and I'm on Blue Sky and MeWe if you want to look me up. Links are in the show notes. But the most enjoyable feedback comes from listeners who call in, whether by hitting the link to SpeakPipe or by recording a voice memo and just emailing it in. But I just want to say a big thank you to all the callers this time around and encourage 
you, if you've got anything to say or anything to ask, to drop me a line. Let's see what people had to say this week. Hey, Pay Jason here. Just listened to Roleplay Rescue 13.02. Really enjoyed it. Glad to hear the school club's going well. Yeah, man. It sounds like you're on the right path and, you know, fight those negative thoughts. The Sorry, I forget what you called them now. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, yeah, stick to, stick to the course. It, you know what's going to work. Just don't doubt yourself, and, and you've got this. I'm fully in support of you, and I would happily support the Patreon, as I said before, without the podcast going. But it's even better with podcasts, with great episodes like this. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Hi, Shay. This is Andrew from Long Island again. Great to hear you back with Season 13. I enjoyed the schooled episode. It sounds like a lot of the things you're uh, doing with the school club and your Saturday game are off to a great start. Congratulations. Keep on rocking. I want to say it's, I think it's great what you're doing with the school kids. RPGs were a huge positive in my life in high school and college. Uh, I was a shy kid who wasn't very social or into sports and spent a lot of my time reading. Role-playing games were almost my only form of social contact. I probably would have had next to no friends if it weren't for the other gamers I met in school. It's nice to think that uh, a kid who comes to your club could end up with a much better school experience and a hobby to enjoy for a lifetime. Also, I thought I'd let you know that your podcast and blog inspired me to try something new with my own gaming. I'm running an open table game for the first time. I held the first session last Wednesday, and after ironing out some difficulties with the Discord, it went okay. I'm looking forward to hearing more. Take care. Hey, Jay. It's Anthony calling in from the road. Just wanted to voice further support for what's going on in this new season of Roleplay Rescue. I'm really enjoying hearing about the school club. And I particularly enjoyed reading about and then hearing about the young game master who came forward looking for advice on how to do it better. Uh, That's fantastic. Mentoring is something I feel that is woefully underrepresented in the modern world. And I've been particularly taken with the enthusiasm and the positivity surrounding your explorations through various systems, through various moods and times in solo play and in group play for your world of Felmir. That sounds like it really has a grip on you, and that's exciting. I resonate with that. So thank you very much for sharing, and keep it coming. Talk to you soon. Hey, Che. Uh, I wanted to call in and tell you uh, I've been following your advice on getting a campaign up and running and trying to follow your simple plan. So I chose Shadow Dark, and so far I've had two sessions. Uh, I have a little town. I have a little wilderness area, and uh, I've spread out a few dungeons and stuff there, some that I've created, some that I'm borrowing. And um, so far, my players have really enjoyed themselves, and... Um, I know your mission here is to like get people back to the table, and even though I do role play on a semi regular basis, I've just been doing like crazy amounts of school and work, and so I'm very rarely that I get a chance to play these days. And so, if your mission was to get people back to the table, you got me and my friends back to the table. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. 
Mission accomplished. Game on, buddy. That's it, and I'm really not sure it has anything to say other than big thank you to those callers, to Andrew, Jason, Anthony, also known as Runeslinger, and of course, Weeb. Please keep the messages coming via SpeakPipe or by emailing your recordings. Links are in the show notes. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. You're covering the running costs and helping me fund stuff for aspiring gamers. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you, all of you. Thanks once again to John from Tale of Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music. And most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.